Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Magical Musings. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about uh, crises of conscience and essentially everything that's wrapped around that. Um, I don't know about how long this is going to be and how much stuff we're going to cover, but there's going to be a whole lot of information, so come on in. Grab your milk and cookies or your tea or whatever and sit down and listen. Uh, I believe this is Magical Musing episode 28, um, but I'll probably have to look that up. <laughs> it, it probably went out because I don't remember either. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's one... We ha- Okay, let's start out with an apology to all the fans. It's been about four months since we did an episode, and a lot of that is my fault. Uh, I don't know how much of that Brian is going to capture, but we've had crises after crises after crises come up uh, here at Shea Phillip, and um, things just never really got together in such a way that there was time to do anything. So we're making time to do this right now, but, you know, that's life. It's true. Life does happen and and has a terrible way of just sort of deciding how things are going to be. Yeah, and it is actually number 28. Oh, cool. Good guess. (laughs) Just a total guess. Um, Yeah, we also have a few new features. Um, The... (sighs) A while back, uh, there was a uh, website, a web form called uh, uh, witchform.net, uh, and it over time became an on-again, off-again thing uh, because the administrator kept all the control with him, and when he vanished and refused to do maintenance on the site or pay his hosting bill or whatever, the site would go down, and it would stay down for months at a time, and he'd pull it back up. So some of the the founding members, some of the longtime members, including me, uh, got together on a Facebook forum, and we decided to recreate that. So in an attempt to resurrect the community that was there, Along with the fellowship and everything else, I created the Magical Musings Forum that is now available for y'all to come and join in on discussions. Uh, mostly it is communication. Uh, it is us sharing knowledge with each other. Uh, there is going to be a book of shadows of, of sorts, uh, which is essentially just going to be a wiki that we put – spells and proceeds and information uh, up on for everybody to access as they need it. Um, and we're going to be discussing everything. It's been going for about a, about a week and a half now, and uh, it's we've got about 30-some-odd members, and they're you know the ones that were trying to campaign to get the, the, the new forum going anyway, but um, – they're slowly inviting their friends and people that they have contact with. So everybody that listens to the show is more than welcome to come and join in. Um, we'd welcome you all with open arms. This is not a closed group. It's not uh, members only and, you know, only friends can be invited. No, it's for everybody. So come on in. You know, we've got a lot of topics that we can talk about. Brian's a member there. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Oh, I just I'm... happened to be one there. Um, Ooh, hey. Yeah, and it's just starting up, so I mean, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, hasn't been brought up, and, you know, 
there's plenty of room to grow. So, I mean, by all means, if you're one to sit down and pontificate about subject matter that appeals to you, then join the forum and, and have fun with us. And as some of the bonuses, uh, well, first off, we've got one member that has – I swear she's replicating her entire Book of Shadows on, on this line because she puts up like 15 posts a day ranging from herbs to um, crystals <laughs> types too. of candles to crystals to – I mean, God, it's just everything. She's wonderful. She's an octogenarian from uh, South Africa. Uh, that is just the sweetest lady, uh, and she was actually the driving force behind this because she really misses the fellowship. And I don't blame her. I mean, I miss the fellowship too. Um, but you know, things move in cycles and forums open and close. And it seems like over the past almost decade, forums have really fell out of favor. They're coming back around though. So here's another one. Uh, you also can get your own blog. Uh, on the forum site, if you want it, want to use it, it's part of the the sign up. Um, and if you're still in the closet and don't want to have a blog out online where people can find it, you can't have a diary in your in your bedroom because your parents or your roommate or your spouse will find it. And, you know, freak out. Um, Make the blog your your book of mirrors where you write down everything. Uh, on this, it's gonna you know you can use your own name your, your own made up name. Doesn't have to trace back to you. You can have your own email address if you want. Uh, we've got an infinite amount of of forwarders, uh, which is just a your name at magicalmusings.net, which remails it to another email address that you choose, or you can have you know your whole own full-featured account, uh, email account, like you would get with Gmail or MSN or something like that. Uh, your choice if you want it. Uh, once again, to, to keep your anonymity there. You know, so come check it out at least. You know, join if you want. Hey, we'd love to have you. Uh, and on that note, today, uh, while we're recording this show, it's April the 18th. Uh, it's um, last day to file your taxes. So hope everybody got those in in America. Um, it was the deadline to register to vote in uh, the state that I'm in, so that's a good thing. And it's also Brian's birthday, so I don't. He's 39. Happy birthday! Uh, we'll, we'll punch him in the arm a few times. <laughs> yes. Oh, that cyberspace punch just just yes. got me. Here, here's here's a here's a wood. Uh, Cardboard cookie for you too. <laughs> yeah, I managed to get off early from work too, like ridiculously early today. Um, well, that and you're complaining, God, how ungrateful. Well, we've got this new, um, like operations manager at work who's been described as a little uptight, and he does not like me yet. He's decided already that he does not like me, so he and I do not get along. And my leaving early in, er, induced the question, I thought you were trying to get on full time. And I said, well, I'm pretty sure I've never, ever said that to you. So, yeah, so he's kind of <laughs> freaking out that I'm not working enough, and I'm kind of like, um, I... I there isn't enough for me to do. 
You're not being his perfect lackey. Apparently. <laughs> he wants a monkey boy that he can say, monkey boy, do something. And you'll go, yes, sir. Oh, I am so not that. <laughs> He's just like, what is wrong with you? What is your plan in life? Um, Not to micromanage other people. My plan is to um, leave, uh, live, eat, breathe, world domination, and die. It's true. And not to poop <laughs> on your desk when I'm pissed off at you. We're working on it. <laughs> okay, so uh, those minor things out of the way. Oh, um, just bought uh, a digital copy of Ellen's uh, Secret... Uh, medicines from the garden uh i have not read it yet uh but that was the discussion topic of the last show um and oddly enough nobody even tried to do the trivia question so (laughs) we never bought a copy of the book and it's not signed and so the first ever magical musings trivia contest was a huge flop <laughs> that's all right um we can have <laughs> other flops us, down the road it's good it shows us just how many people are out there listening to us <laughs> but you know being out of touch for four months probably didn't help at all uh so yeah <laughs> but i now to drum up listenership again it's true i mean i think reasonably though that Everyone goes through a period of time where things get a bit out of hand. Um, I know I've gone through those periods as well. So, And oddly enough, that's the topic of our show today. Yeah, amazing how that works. Wow. Nice segue. <laughs> yeah, segues. Love those things. Anyway, yes, um, the crises of conscience, the life gets in the way type thing. Um, we're going to – what I, my personal tagline for this time of life is the long dark tea time of the soul, uh, and Douglas Adams is the first guy to have come up with that. Uh, it's the title to a book, uh, one of his Dirk Gently Holistic Detective Agency books. Uh, I think it's the second one, but never read the book, but that sort of explains this time period quite well. Because it is a time period in everybody's life where it's just, everything just conspires to hammer you down and to knock you around and make you think that this is the worst idea in the world and your life is the worst idea in the world. And unfortunately, in a lot of cases, people will have the um, crises of conscience at this point. It's… It's essentially a questioning of why the hell are you believing this? There's absolutely no evidence that an invisible sky man is going to make your life better uh, if you follow these rules written in a book that comes from ancient times where uh, people didn't even speak English uh, and had completely different societal rules. And if you follow all these rules from this invisible sky man, that you will get to live with the invisible sky man and go, oh, you're the greatest sky man in the universe forever. It's true. 
Um, the Christians call it the Dark Night of the Soul. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's a period where I think all of us in who walk pagan paths, you know, reach that place in their lives. Um, you know, the the question of whether magic is really helping anything and, you know, you know, I mean, reality and real life step in and they just kick you and, you know, suddenly it's like, ah, do I really want to celebrate this, you know, festival? Is it worth staying up all night or whatever? And, yeah, I mean... This is a, a question I think that a lot of people ask at various times in their lives. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a normal thing to ask. I mean, really, what you've got is you've got a real confluence of things that, that, that come together that cause this. And let's start with just the, the, the basic thing. You've got a physical world around you. You stand up. You put your feet on the floor. You push with your muscles. Your body rises. You find your balance. You walk across the room. You push a button. The TV comes on, and you can see information from the other side of the world. That is a reality that you can see and that you can prove. You talking to an invisible sky person and asking them to help you win the lottery – is seen as dementia in some people, is seen as religion in others. How do you tell the difference? You don't, because they act exactly the same way. Okay? So you can't, you don't have a provable fact there. And if, for instance, you somehow find $20 on the, on the ground later that day, that could be, you know, complete coincidence. Or it can be the sky man answering your prayer. And you don't really have a way of going, this is because somebody was dumb and opened up their wallet on a windy day and it blew out and it's now in front of my feet. You don't have a way of saying that for specific unless you observed it. That's true. That is true. And so, you know, it could be the invisible sky man giving it to you and you have no way of knowing that so it's very easy in this subtle faith that we have where it is magic and it is ritual and it is us putting our trust in things that we can't see to lose that faith because it does after a while look like mumbo jumbo and nothing happening and to doubt like this is normal. It is part of – some mystical paths require this. If you don't doubt, then you can't have that connection. It's true. Okay? And without that connection, you can't be the good shaman you're supposed to be for everybody else. Because here's the real paradox. In, in some of these faiths, like shamanism, um, you have to have – this time period where you're going, this is complete and utter bullshit, and move through it so that you can go, okay, you are having a bad time in your life. It is a bad day, not a bad life, and help them through that to where you are. 
in order to do your duty as a priest or a priestess. Yep, that's that's um, an archetype actually called the wounded healer. And, I mean, it. Jung talked about it, you know, various spiritual paths have discussions of the same idea. Um, you know, the idea that you do have to suffer spiritual injury, I guess, for lack of a better term, in order for yourself to develop the ability to correct that in other people. It's empathy building. You can't you can't fully empathize with somebody if you've never gone through a situation. Now that doesn't mean that you have to go out and cut off your hand in order to understand what an amputee is going through. But you do have to have some large injury to yourself such as an infection, a sickness, an illness, something like that, so that you can empathize with that person who has that. And you can go, okay, this is normal, this is going to happen, and you have to study it. You know? But for things like this, things like the, the, like the long dark tea time of the soul, um, the dark night, we'll just start calling it the dark night because that's essentially what it is. It is a time period, just like the night is, where everything looks bad, everything looks horrible, everything looks terrible, but you move through it, and the day breaks, and the dawn comes, and everything lights up, and what was horrible, what was scary in front of you is now revealed to be shapes of trees that are looking down on you and you know, providing you with oxygen. Whereas an hour and a half ago, they were terrifying monsters trying to grab you and drag you down into the depths of hell. <laughs> it's true. <clears throat> yeah. And I mean, a lot of that ties in with different people um, experiencing periods of depression in their lives. Um, it It can give you the sense that you know, everything you look at in life is very dark and negative, and, and it can be very disempowering. Um, it, it It's hard to get out of that period because um, there's not a lot of treatments, I guess, for it. Um, you know, you can get on like vitamin D and, you know, take antidepressants and things like that. But those don't tend to solve the actual issues that are plaguing you. Um, so in that sense, I mean, the the darkness can be overpowering and it can be a very difficult stage of your life to step out of. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really hard. Uh- it's interesting because it seems like the people that most need this help are the same ones that suffer from it themselves, and that made absolutely no sense because that's circular logic. <laughs> the people that are most able to – okay, I suffer from severe depression. Okay, This is not uh, depressive episodes like you sometimes see in – TV commercials. This is ongoing, complete depression where my normal would be somebody's um, suicidal 
level of things. I need medicine to take this, okay? The the crisis of conscience comes a lot more often because I'm subject to that depression. It, and it seems to be a lot more difficult because I'm I suffer from that same depression, okay? The converse to that is that because I know I'm depressed and subject to depressive moods, and because I understand that the the dark times end eventually, I can – my father would call it manning up, but and so would my drill sergeant, but it just I can just endure it and get through it because – it's all I know. When I'm not on my medication, it's 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 life. You know that those depressive episodes aren't an episode; they're all the time. So it's just you you endure it and you go keep going and you do what you're supposed to do, and you get to the other side eventually. <laughs> um, yeah, it it does happen, and unfortunately, like I'm not subject to the same kind of clinical depression. Um, but you know, I've been through a period of my life which lasted like over a decade and, you know, I'm still feeling the reverb or the re repercussions from it. But, you know, a period of your life where you just have no sense of purpose. You don't feel like there's a reason to go on living and yet you do go on autopilot and and you kind of plow through it and it just becomes this routine like you say i mean it, it's mm-hmm. it's that period in your life where you know for other people it probably would lead them to suicide or what have you and mm-hmm. but because you've been there it's there's an episode of west wing one of my favorite episodes called noel uh it's like Second or third season, it's their Christmas episode. Um, essentially, one of the characters has been shot in a previous episode, and he's suffering from PTSD. And it's the initial diagnosis and the start of the therapy for him about this post-traumatic stress disorder that he's going through from being shot. Um, and at the very end, one of his friends tells a story. Um, there's a guy walking along a street, and he falls down this hole, and it's a very deep hole, and he can't find a way out. And you know, he starts calling up um, out of the hole for help, and one of these – and a doctor walks by, and he says, Doctor, can you help me? I'm, I've fallen down this hole, and I can't get out. Doctor writes out a prescription, throws it down the hole, and keeps going. And you know that doesn't help him very much, and so he, you know, keeps calling out. And pretty soon, a, a priest comes along. He says, "Father, I'm down here. I need some help. Can you help me out?" Father writes out a, a prayer for him, throws it down the hole, and keeps going. And you know this doesn't help him out. And pretty soon, our guy's, you know, still calling. And a friend walks by and he says, "Bill, look, I'm down here. I can't get out of this hole. I need some help." So his friend jumps down the hole with him. And he says, what are you, stupid? Now we're both down here. And he says, yeah, but I've been down here before, and I know the way out. And that's exactly what it is. It's that kind of help and that kind of knowing that there is a way out. Now, one of the things that I have noticed having gone through these cycles 
is that they seem to come every seven years. I mean, if you actually blocked it out and looked at it on a calendar, it seems like about every seven years or so, the the mind just shuts down and stops working with all of the symbols that it had before and doesn't want to acknowledge all of that that it's already learned. And that's not an arbitrary number. Scientists have already found uh, a long time ago that our bodies regenerate themselves about every seven years. Every seven years, you're walking around in a, new, in a brand new meat sack uh, because the body has gotten rid of every single old cell and created all new ones doing the exact same jobs. So, yeah, the brain has changed. It's made new connections. It's trying to cope with having all new everything. Okay, um, my wife, and Mary, and I joked at each other at one point. I had a car that we, that every payday it broke, and so we were constantly replacing something. And finally, it got to a point where it was like, we're going to have a new car one part at a time here. <laughs> and that's pretty much what that is. It's a brand new body, <laughs> one cell at a time. <laughs> it's true. But yeah, every seven years, you're going. It's, it seems like this happens. This cycle begins again, and your brain starts working on something new. All the old models stop fitting at that point. All of the the things that were solid and concrete in the past with your religion, with your faith, with uh, your understanding of the universe, with your friends and family, all of that has to be re-imaged, I guess, um, off of new experiences instead of the same old ones. Why this happens, I have no earthly idea. But the brain says, okay, these are the experiences that I had in the past. That's great. Uh, we're going to hang on to the memories of those, but we're going to try reorganizing everything with new experiences with the same groups to see if they all still stay consistent. And once again, when you're dealing with the metaphysical, it's very inconsistent and very subjective. There's no objective anything in metaphysics. I can tell 800 stories a day about things that I've done on the astral plane, but I have no way of showing you what, ha what I did. You, the only way that you're going to know it's true is if you believe me, and I could be lying. It's <laughs> so true. It's, it's real subjective. It's not objective. Papa Daddy in the but, Sky cares all, er, about what you do every day of your life, but he's and, only going to reward you once you're dead. Mm. <laughs> That's that. That was always my biggest problem with Christianity. Christianity is a death cult, and it doesn't realize it and won't acknowledge it unless it's very, very mature. There are few, very few priests who understand that the typical religious model of Christianity is a death cult because a death cult says you do good things while you're alive to make up for the fact that you're not dead, and you only get rewarded for everything once you are dead. Well, it's true, and I mean, the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses argue that 
the symbol of Christianity is not a cross. They don't use a cross or a crucifix. They they refer to it as a torture stake. And yeah. the idea of it, you know, being a, a symbol of a living belief system that denies the physicality of your body, um, it's nonsensical to them. I mean, they're like, well, why would we worship a cross? Because basically you're saying, you know, let's focus on the the torture and death of, you know, the Savior that we acknowledge as our, you know, master kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, you, you think about it, it really doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. The, the the Mormons feel exactly the same way. You will never, ever, ever see Mormon religious art with either the Garden of Gethsemane or um, with the crucifixion. Why? Because once again, it's you know the the torture and death of a good person, not the actual act of salvation. So all of their Mormon, all of the Mormon religious art depicts the second coming. Uh, depicts the uh, Trump and uh, resurrection of everybody, uh, the resurrection itself, uh, all for the same reason, you know. Well, and and that's that's <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. The, the Mormon Church is a Gnostic manifestation of the Freemasons. Um, In a lot of ways, yeah. And that's the whole premise of the Gnostic. Um, you know, pre-Christian and Christian Gnostic sects were was the focus on the whole idea of your efforts to enter the underworld and rise up from it, right? So the whole idea of an underworld journey in itself, you know, is pivotal in a, a spiritual development. That's why a lot of the, you know, the the Christian denominations that people struggle most with are the ones that are always focused on the light, you know, the, the positive, the, you know, once you're dead, you'll, you'll enjoy salvation kind of thing, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And it's like, well, but isn't that underworld, you know, experience of death and resurrection, the whole idea of living? And here's you know a perfect good tie back in to what we're talking about. The 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 whole model of the underworld death, um, being tortured uh, in hell, going through um, mental questioning, uh, questioning about who you are and how you are, and then coming out of all of that into the light of the new day with new revelation and new knowledge. Is another part of the subject that we're you know talking about tonight because that is exactly what you're going through. You're going through a time period where you're questioning the the subjective reality that you've known all this time about the great sky daddy, uh, invisible sky daddy, um, and you're trying to figure out whether that makes sense in your life anymore. And then you're coming out of that time period with whatever decision you've decided to make. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. However, it is into the new light of into the light of illumination of the new day with this knowledge, ready to implement it in your life. However, it is you've chosen to see it. You know, and that could be 
going to paganism, that could be going to agnosticism, that could be going to atheism, that could be going to theistic paganism or atheistic paganism or however you want to do it. You know, those are your decisions based on your life and your experiences and your testing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it, it brings to mind the whole idea. I mean, what we're talking about, it's not strictly like a Christian prospect. It's not it, – it's, it's – I mean, you can relate it to Buddhist practice. You can relate it to all kinds of things. I mean, the whole idea of hermetic spirituality and spiritual alchemy and that sort of thing is this whole idea, right? The idea mm-hmm. of dissolution, you know, that that period of darkness where you dissolve into non-being, the, the state of not being whole and the work that you have to do to sort of regain that state of wholeness by raking in the parts of yourself that are still good and worth something. Mm-hmm. And it, while I was just thinking about this, like we we're we're talking about the significance of the, the number seven and it, it's a number numerologically speaking that talks about, um, transition you know magic and (laughs) the mysteries and so i was i was kind of thinking about the kybalion and and kind of going yeah the the whole seven hermetic principles thing you know like seven is a significant number in spirituality um you know the seven days of creation i mean if you read samael on vayor um he talks about those seven days being the the sort of stages of personal growth that lead to Gnosis and mm-hmm. so on, right? So, like, if if you want to really touch on deep spiritual ideas, um, connecting with the, the number seven, you know, whether that's through the the, the pip cards of, of a tarot deck or the seventh um, major arcana card, which I can't remember right now. Um, um, <laughs> I'm trying. Let's see. We've got Fool of Zero, Magician's One, the High Priestess is Two, um, the Empress is Three, the High the Chariot is Four, the Chariot, the Chariot. <laughs> Which okay. again, you know, it, it's that period of of loss of control. The reversed card means this this lack of control and mm-hmm. you know you reverse that to its proper position and it means you have a, everything held in balance and i mean the whole idea of that if you want to sort of explore again the kybalion um or the seven hermetic principles you can google those all over the place but those kind of are, are some thing to really ponder and, and consider is if you're going through a period where you're you're struggling because it is I mean it's this whole idea of having to regain control by you know processing the darkness and, and sort of pulling it out of yourself so that you can mm-hmm. leave what is pure and good and positive in your life 
that was the whole point of, of alchemy anyway. It wasn't the search for changing physical metal lead into the physical metal gold so that you go go out and spend it and be rich. It was the 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 transformation of the adherent of the alchemist himself from the base metal of here into the gold of the higher awareness and coming out of the dark times into the light. <laughs> Gosh, this is all tying back together again, and everything's about tarot. <laughs> yeah, we do say that, and it is always true. It everything is, always is about tarot, and that's just how it works. <laughs> um, besides the body uh, regenerating itself every seven years, uh, there was it, it. It always seems to me, at least while I was looking at back at my life, that major life-changing events seem to center right around every seven years. I mean, for you listeners, think back to when you were seven years old, just seven, okay? You were starting in first grade or kindergarten. You were learning to share with other people. You were learning you were starting the journey of information that we're, you're going to be you know, doing for the rest of your life. And this is not you know, simple motor skills. This is actually thinking about and learning to reason and learning to question and cause and effect and, and inner social skills that you're still using to this day, no matter how old you are. And right around 14, that's where puberty hits. Right, Your body goes through all these massive changes all of a sudden, and now you have to take everything that you just learned from the time that you were zero till you were 14, throw all that out of the window, and learn it all again. And then you get to 21, third set. And if you're American, you get to drink legally. Yay. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> but you're considered an adult now. And you can go out and fight and die for your country, or you can vote uh, in political elections. Some of these things in various places come at different times, but it seems like 21 is the accepted age of majority for just about everybody. And you know that's another life-changing event because you're pretty much at that point looking for a mate full-time, if not already married or having a child yourself. And then you get to 28. And you've been – you're now reevaluating once again because you've had these other three sets, and you've gone through the first set of adulthood. That seven years from 21 to 28 sees a lot of marriages and divorces right in there. No doubt, yeah. <laughs> because you get married quick, you have the child quick, and then you go, wait a minute. This is not the person that I want to be with for the rest of my life, and you go, fuck it, and leave. <laughs> and then you get married again. <laughs> and then you come to 35. And then you get to 42, I think. Yep. And that's generally the time where you're in your midlife crisis. And what are you doing? You're throwing everything out the window, and you're starting over again. But each time, each cycle, your, your starting point for the next cycle has more information and more experience than the previous one. 
So you're starting out a little bit higher, a little bit further along the track. And I thought that was kind of interesting because when you look at it in a cycle like that, it's obvious. But most people don't look at it like that. It's true. They go, why is my life melting down? I'm only 28 years old. I haven't done anything. It's like your life is supposed to melt down at this point. Duh. And now you have me kind of thinking about the plurality of sevens. Like, if, if you were to take that to the ultimate end of one's life, like, I'm I'm kind of thinking now of, of looking at those things numerologically speaking. Like, you know, the significance of the seven when you are seven, you know, of five when you're 14, and so on and so forth, and how those numbers play out in, in the course of a life. Because I'm like... What do those numbers look like? Has, you know, do they properly reflect that time of your life? <laughs> I, I, I've never looked at it myself. I just – I was thinking about this show last night and thinking about the kinds of things that we could talk about. And it sort of struck me that you know, along with your body regenerating itself every seven years, your life kind of regenerates itself at the same time. It's true. It really is. I mean – and that's the funny thing, like, even in the book for the Druidcraft Tarot, the, the particular deck I'm using at the moment, um, it says the message of the sevens is looking within I explore the shining stars. And, I mean, it, it's like the whole concept of, of this regenerative power of, you know, sig like, continual strings of sevens in your life and you know you you go through the same thing in the course of a week you know mm -hmm. um you know you've got seven days and you know most people have kind of a cyclic feel as they go through that you know week right so they've got the the rising and falling emotions as you know their the work week begins you know it reaches the weekend and they're like exhausted and then they go through that renewal thing into the next week and so on and it, it's it's just an interesting thing to ponder now yeah, and the whole world was created in seven days <laughs> well and <laughs> it's yeah i mean like the whole I no i i think it's specifically of a, of a scene out of 1776 where um thomas jefferson and um Oh, uh, John Adams are talking about writing the Declaration of Independence, and Jefferson is just having this horrible time, and he hasn't gotten anything written, and Adams is like, oh my god, you've had seven days. The whole world was created in seven days, and, and Jefferson looks at Adams and says, someday you must tell me how you did it. And it's just like, damn. Okay, anyway... <laughs> It's true, though. I mean... <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then you get the argument, like, how long is... How long are God's days, you know? And exactly. you're like, wait, you know, what? Stop that. That's nonsensical. doesn't matter. <laughs> God's days could have been an hour long. You don't know. 
God's days could have been seven billion years long, you know. And if you talk to uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, he'd tell you, you know, yeah. Well, if you break it down into seven periods until you know six thousand years ago, when the desert people came out and stole their holy book and then claimed it, you know, as their own and won't let anybody else worship any other way. Uh, <laughs> it's true. You know, and you break that down, it's you know ten billion eight hundred and seventy-five million three hundred thousand. You know. I don't know. It's true, though. I mean, if you really look at, like, the Young Earth creationist sort of time scale, I mean, they're talking about the world having been created well after we, you know, kind of have evidence of agriculture developing in in the Middle East. I know. But the the, um, fiction author in the Book of Job which is actually a pretty good book, uh, said at one point that God cheated um, because there's all this evidence of the world being billions and billions and billions of years old, uh, but it's actually only you know 6,000 years old. And somebody says, well, God cheated. He created the world old. He put the fossils in there. <laughs> Obviously. Of, of creatures that didn't exist so that you could find it and go, well, um... Uh, and start questioning everything. It's true. I mean, and then you get the ancient alien people who are like, yeah, the reason we talk about stories of, like, dragons is because humans and dinosaurs walked at the same period of time. Well, no. Yeah, but we'll see, they were taken back in time by the aliens, and they dropped them off, and they, you know, carved out the, the pyramids from a huge piece of stone, because those aren't little individual rocks that humans picked up and, and put over there. Those are actual, that's one piece of stone with carvings, you know, for the lines in there. Right. <laughs> it's true. Like, and then you've got, um, oh God, what's his name? That, the dude who's got the wild hair. Who who's constantly the talking. ancient aliens guy? Yeah, who's <laughs> it's not Stephanopoulos. It's I don't know. I don't <laughs> listen to him. I don't watch ancient aliens. I like I watching talk. it because some of the episodes are actually discussing hermeticism, but they're like <laughs> overlaying the the sort of like pseudo creation myth of ancient alien believers and stuff, and it's like. It just it it got to me. It's like okay, you're taking coincidence and doing a, 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 a Robert Graves with it. You're grasping at straws and you're putting things that have nothing to do with each other that happened on opposite sides of the planet at completely different times together and saying they're the same thing. It's what? True. Yeah, like. <laughs> For me, the whole thing with Gobekli Tepe, for instance, is is one of those things. It's like, wait, I mean, like this the shepherd discovered this, you know, stone pillar in his field. Okay, that doesn't mean that aliens put it there. Like humans are are an innovative and or innovative and creative species. You know, like hell, the ancient Greeks used slash fiction to tell their mythology. Like, why does <laughs> Why does you know why does it seem so unfathomable to the ancient aliens crowd that that you know like human beings might have invented stories and and come up with unique creatures based on combinations of the things that they saw in their daily lives like 
or you know actually use technology that they had already existent in their society at the time to do the incredible thing, feats that they did you know that could have only been done by aliens well, it's, yeah. it's easter island okay easter island let's let's digress just a little bit here one of the things that i love is that they're saying that the that easter island now has these full body uh, stone carvings that go down into the earth when you know they're filming and they move ahead and there's it's resting on the ground it may you know be a couple of feet down because of sediment and you know winds and everything like that but it's actually just ahead and well they couldn't have gotten this here and then they have you know 50 people on with rollers and they're walking this head back and forth, and they're filming them doing this. And it's a hell of an efficient way to get it from the quarry, you know, 10 miles away, up to where they put it. And then they pick this giant sombrero up and put it on top of the head. And, you know, oh, humans couldn't have done this. You know, they had to have power <laughs> tools. And it's like, what? Did, did you not watch the video? <laughs> it's true. And, I mean, the same thing with, like, Stonehenge and whatnot. I mean... There's a documentary that was really cool that, that sort of depicted the uh, ancient Britons as, you know, carting these stones from Wales over the land and, you know, using wooden rollers or something and, and trekking for weeks and weeks to bring these, you know, across the the island. And... You're just kind of like, okay, so these are completely reasonable explanations for how they got these here. And, you know, mm-hmm. as to why they would feel the need to do it, you know, whatever. I mean, sacred temple, you know, why it's not? all kinds of reasons that, you know, humans have erected monuments. I mean, <laughs> we and erected these humans you know, like for people who died 100 years ago in a war. Like, okay. Yeah. So why, why wouldn't they? It's unfathomable. Because it a, aliens did it, ancient aliens had to have done it. What? Because really? no, you couldn't, you couldn't have taken a, um, uh, a a a blue stone and tied a whole bunch of hollow logs to it and floated it in the river down fifty miles to where it's two miles away from the site you're taking it to, and then pulled it out of the water and taken away the the, the hollow logs. And dragged it the other two miles. No, you couldn't have done that. It had to have been aliens. It's true. <laughs> or Merlin's magic or what have you. I mean, mm-hmm. there's great stories and all. And, and I love the that humans have crafted these these ideas for how things came to be. But it's just so weird that the ancient astronaut crowd somehow looks at modern culture and then doesn't think that humans were as creative, you know, like, so what, they didn't have a writing system, it doesn't mean they can't craft stories, you know. Or they can't think, (laughs) reason. Have you not understood that the modern human species is the same as it was 20,000 years ago? I mean, like... Well, minus the seven-year cycle of recreating, (laughs) never mind. (laughs) Trying to get back on topic, guys. (laughs) Because we kind of strayed way away from it. We at tend this point. to. That's, <laughs> it's what makes our show worth listening to. It does. Anyway, um, okay. So, some ex- there's a few other reasons that this would actually happen. Um, I'm going to share uh, a personal story 
that happened to Mary and I a number of years ago. Come to think Seven of it, about to be four- exact. Uh, no, actually about 14, believe it or not. Ooh. Um, <laughs> we uh, were living in a community, or in, very involved in a pagan community in the area that we were living in. And um, we had started falling upon some hard times. We allowed some people of that community to come into our household to live with us because they had no place to go. And we were pledged to uh, help our brothers and sisters in the craft uh, when we could. That was part of our oaths. So we helped them out as much as we possibly could, and they wound up stealing from us. And it wasn't subtle stealing. It was very blatant stealing, Uh, taking the rent, uh, taking our cigarettes at the time, uh, finding the change that I had been saving for my sister uh, because she collects um, bicentennial quarters. And I had gotten a whole bunch of them and taped them up to a nice card and was going to send them to her at some point. Um, So we uh, got into a bad situation. We got evicted from our house because we couldn't pay the rent because it was being stolen by these people. And we went to the community we were part of who had said, if you all need anything, come to us. And so we needed, and we came to them, and we said, look. Here's our situation. This is what we have done. We are trying to get out of this hole. We need a hand. We're not asking for money. We're not asking for handouts. We need crash space. And to a person, every single one of them said, oh, well, y'all are just lazy. Go get, go, go get into a homeless shelter. We had at one point uh, the people of the community following us around. Um, and in one case, we were told very blatantly that if we didn't find some place to live soon, they were going to turn us into child services and have our daughter taken away from us. Um, we were harassed. We were told quite a number of things at one point as a distraction so that we weren't so super stressed out. I had worked very hard to get uh, a RPG game going at the community center, and they took that away from me, saying you should be focused on uh, taking care of your family rather than doing this. And so, and it caused Mary and I both to go, if this is how the community is supposed to be, and this is what we are supposed to be doing as a member of that community, this is wrong, and we know that this is wrong, and this is not how we should be doing it. And it caused both of us to have a massive um, break with the gods and have one of these dark times in our life. Because not only were we, you know, asking the community to help us while we were trying to help ourselves, but we were asking, we were begging the gods for anything and it didn't really matter how, what we got. You know, flop space would have been helpful. And when the gods did not respond with either practical advice or with help in the form of rescue, um, you know, and these are 
these are deities that we that we were very very intimate with at the time. We it it wasn't a communication of oh I'm going to do a ritual and then run around and fuck off. It was a very deep meditations, very long periods of time where we're having dialogues with the gods and going, look, we're trying. Give us some suggestions. Give us a little help, something, anything. And we were told quite seriously, you know, look, this is a nexus point for you guys. Y'all are going to have to get through it. We can help you a little bit. We can't come in and do everything for you. Go here. Get help from this person. We will let them know. And we would go to that person and go, hi, I was sent by fill in the blank. Uh, you're supposed to help me. And they would go, I have no idea what you're talking about. I haven't heard anything from anybody. I'm really connected with my God, and you're putting words in my God's mouth, and I don't appreciate it. And You're, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And it was really hard for that to happen over and over and over and over again. And both of us went, okay, that's it. If this is what it is to be pagan, fuck it. Fuck the gods. Fuck the spirits. Fuck everything. We're out of here. And it took a long time for both of us to recover from that. And just talking about it is making is triggering Mary because it was it was a bad time. So it's not just the regeneration that you have to go through. It's not just the forging and quenching that those that use time use use um, metalwork to explain. It's individual actions as well it is i don't know it almost well like i already said it almost seems like it's required in some cases for this to happen and there's repercussions from this still today um we still are not in a physical community Despite many, many, many chances to get involved in our local area pagans, to do things with them to help our community, specifically because of all that that happened. No doubt. <sighs> yeah, I mean, that's the hard thing with like the physical community of, of paganism especially, because we – as a, a community overall aren't established enough to have resources for that kind of situation to happen. Um, I know when I was living in the interior of the province, um, in what we call the Okanagan, um, we were talking about establishing like some sort of resource for homeless families or, you know, struggling families or what have you. But there was that problem. I mean, there was just not enough pagans, I guess, getting their shit together and kind of seriously considering how to go about that. Um, mm -hmm. And it... It probably was very difficult for a lot of pagans, you know, because those those kind of situations do arise. And, you know, it 
unfortunately, the human side of people kicks in, and and they kind of wonder if they can provide for themselves. Never mind, you know, helping the unfortunate. Mm-hmm. And that that's that's what it always boils down to, and that's finally how I came out of that time period and got back on the path that I should be on is understanding that this isn't from the deities. This isn't how moral people are supposed to act. This is how human people act. And humanity fucks up a religious practice all the time. It's shown over and over and over. We have hundreds of thousands of examples that I can pull out. Um, just the the basic one example right off the top of my head was the fifty two theses of um, Luther of Martin Luther and the humans fucked up the Catholic Church and he said to hell with it and started his own you know get it, trying to get back to what he saw as the proper attitude and then the Lutherans screwed up. And then, you know, the Mormons screwed up, and then the, you know, this group screwed up, and that group screwed up, and the, you know, then you have an entire other religion being born with um, the, the Muslims and Muhammad going into the desert because Christianity is just completely insane and coming back with almost exactly the same thing that Jesus taught, you know, almost word for word, and People screwing that up now and saying that it's all about hate and all about anger and all about killing the people that you know are not like you again. And then you have the break off with you know the uh, Hindus, not the Hindus, the um, I don't know. It's you know, and you've got all these all these humans messing up the faith path when it's the faith path they should be looking at. And the only thing that you can do is go, okay, the systems, the organized systems are broken. The groups are broken. You have to look at your own self and your own priorities and your own needs and work from there. And that is the only way that you can come out of one of these situations. Yep, it's true. And I mean, the the reality too is that like – Schisms happen in religions because people are innately a tribal species. Um, you know, a group of people get together and they decide that, well, our our current group is doing this particular thing wrong, so let's just branch off and do our own thing. And because of that need to branch off and create the us and them motif it I mean there's never going to be a religion that creates the perfect harmony that so many strive for like the whole idea of creating a universal harmony based on mutual everything is in itself it creates like a tribe of you know idealists who are shunning everyone who disagrees with them. So it's like, mm-hmm. well, okay, if you were to put your own 
ideas into practice realistically, you wouldn't have that other because you would just embrace them for being who they are and show them that your way was the best way. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, I mean, even it, it comes down to this, this kind of need that we have as spiritually developing people to experience the worst times. You know, it's, I'm not even sure where my mind was headed with this, but (laughs) it is not obvious. (laughs) Gin and tonic is a good thing. Mm. The, the, Right now, um, I heard not too long ago a really profound statement that struck me as so completely true that there's just no denying it when you hear it, that spirituality is your experience with the infinite and the gods. Religion is somebody else believing you had an experience with the infinite and the gods. And that's the critical difference because spirituality changes you. Religion is supposed to change others, but they don't have the same spiritual experience that you do. They might be able to get to the same point to have that same religious experience or that same spiritual experience but they're never going to have the same experience and their interpretation of what they see feel and hear is going to be different because of that so everybody has their own spirituality but when you get together and start imposing that spirituality on others via religion which is somebody else believing in your spiritual experience then you have all of these problems and all of these schisms and all of these groups breaking off of each other and recombining and everything like that. Yeah, definitely. You know. I mean, the reality is, like, the whole premise of religion is that it's providing you an easy path that doesn't demand anything of you, that someone else has devised um, as their way to call it enlightenment. Um, and Usually going through suffering and spiritual change and the, the dark night and coming out the other side with that enlightenment. Well, exactly. I mean, to, you know, to relate it back to the topic of the show. <laughs> well, and that's just it, though. Like, I mean, if you think about it, like, in, in the New Testament, um, Jesus undertakes all these, you know, issues. Like, I mean, there's a big chunk of time missing from the story of Jesus' life because, you know, that's the period of time where he was experiencing the turmoil of puberty and young adulthood. And, you know, it's that messy stuff that nobody wants to sort of address and mm-hmm. so he pops up on the scene at 30 after all that crap's gone through. And then he talks about all these positive things, right? Because he's conceivably gone through the darkness, you know, 
And well, he even, he even does. I mean, uh, during that time period where the the New Testament is talking about, he goes out into the desert for a month. It's true. You know, to meditate. If that's not a dark time of the soul, I don't know what it is, because he doesn't take anything with him. He doesn't take any. Um, Food, so he's fasting for thirty days. God only knows if he found water out there, you know. And then Satan comes and says, "Okay, well, I'm, I'll set you up as the king of the world. You know, just worship me." You know, and he's like, "Get away from me!" It's true. <laughs> like, and I mean, you can look at that from the the polarity between like materialism and spirituality, and and. You know, all these kind of opposing forces, right? Like, do you take the easy route, the the popular route of materialism? You know, I'll give you a kingdom. You know, I'll give you food if you'll only allow me to control your life, right? Like greed, Mm -hmm. selfishness, and all these things that the devil represents. Um, You get the same story in um, the Bhagavad Gita, um, which talks Mm -hmm. about Arjuna kind of being on the battlefield between one side of his family and the other and you know he's kind of struggling like which side do I fight for like both of these are like they're my relatives and and Krishna says to him well each of the forces that you're dealing with represents parts of you you know and you know he's Arjuna and Krishna are driving um a chariot with five horses and you know Krishna says well these five horses represent your senses if you can get these under control then you have a better chance of kind of addressing the problem of these opposing forces but you have to be able to control the small part of you know your life in order to harmonize the two sides and mm-hmm. you know you get all these similar stories where you do have to deal with that struggle, that conflict, the the hardships in order to reconcile your life so that you can bring it to a point of control. Well, hell, I mean, even you see it not only repeated in uh, religions and in spiritual journeys, because like you said, there's that, there's... um, uh, Muhammad going into the desert and you know uh, doing his thing to come up with uh, Islam, and there's you know um, there's the Buddhists doing the same thing and the Hindus doing the same thing, and you know there's all these leaders that go off for a while. They and when they come back, they come back with the enlightenment. But you've got it in you know popular culture, Star Wars. I mean, here's a perfect example of the same. Dark night of the soul, come uh, come through that to enlightenment. The the Jedi when they're doing their thing and they're going through all the training and they're you know they're learning to use the Force and they're you know lifting rocks and throwing droids around and shooting lightning from their fingers. There's always always a point where they confront the dark sides inside of them and they see it. And they confront it, and they either pass it or fail it. And it's not, you know, like two and two is five, where where it's a logical fact that you can prove verifiably one way or the other. It's whether they succumb to their own inner natures as to whether or not they pass. You know, 
And we've even incorporated that in our own practice of uh, our RPGs, because Mary and I still play, um, where the Jedi, as they're going through their training, the last point of their training, and this is borne out by all the movies, is that they get into a situation where they fully go over to the dark side, lose their, their mind, lose uh, all their rage is going crazy, they're ready to kill, ready to kill with the Force, and they stop. And at that point, it's either they pull themselves back from that and become a Jedi, or they keep going and they fall into the to being Sith. It's true. And if you... And if you think about the movies, there's always that point. There was the point with uh, Luke uh, cutting the hand off of Vader and confronting the Emperor, and he stopped himself, and he pulled himself back and became a Jedi. At the point where um, uh, Anakin is uh, in, the, in the Senate room with um, uh, the Emperor and um, Palpatine and the, the – Oh, shit, what is his name? Purple lightsaber guy. And they're fighting. And he has to choose dark side or light side. And he's going, you know, and he's got a choice there. He can either help Sam Jackson's character, and (laughs) (laughs) or he can help the the, the nanescent emperor, you know, so that he can save his own self. That's his choice. He can either stop and pull back. Or he can keep going with all that hate and rage and anger and selfishness to save his wife and fall to the dark side. Is we saw Mace what he Windu? did. Mace Windu. Yes, thank you. <laughs> I was like, Sam Jackson, now that I remember him playing it. But yeah, yeah. I think it's Mace Windu. <laughs> Mace Windu. Very um, first movie. Very first movie. Um, Obi-Wan fighting um, Darth Maul. And he's watched... Darth Maul kill Qui-Gon Jinn, rip his heart out, and now he's fighting with that same anger, that same rage, that same hate. And you can see it on, on, on Obi-Wan's face. He wants to eviscerate, kill in the worst way possible Darth Maul. And he's fighting, and he's got force with him and everything, and he either stops and pulls back and becomes a Jedi – or he falls over into the dark side at that point. Well, and that's... And you, you, know, that's, you can see him stop. Well, definitely. I'm and, sorry. I mean, it, it's it's the conflict that, you know, everyone goes through. It, it's the whole idea of the samurai. Like, the idea of their spiritual development and their, you know, development of skills and stuff was the same thing. It was like, you, you learn all these skills. You learn to mastery... Um, you know your your own mental discipline your 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 skill with the sword and other weapons and the idea was that if you were a noble samurai what you would do is you would only use your weapons in service to your master and if you allowed personal feelings to get in the way suddenly you were dishonored you were you were failing as a samurai and that's, I mean, the whole premise with the Hagakure. Um, and it it reminds me again, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this story before, but Vi- the Vita Merlin I by um, Jeffrey of Monmouth, where 
Merlin himself goes through that period of what, you know, basically you described it as like madness, losing his mind. And he, he enters the wilderness and he's able to, you know, he develops the ability to talk to animals and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, he just loses his shit. And then mm-hmm. he comes out of it, you know, as the Merlin, you know, who is this enlightened advisor to King Arthur. Mm-hmm. But there's still that time period that you have to go through, like the the Dark Knight, of completely losing faith in your in everything, including yourself, and learning to get it back again, and continuing on with your life at that point. Mm-hmm. Be- basically, because you rebuild it from a foundation that you find inside of yourself, and that foundation usually is you. It's not it's not things outside of you. Normally when you're going through this time period and we're moving into the last sections of um the the notes on the show here, usually when you have this it's there's a core inside of yourself that you find during this time period where everything else around you is absolute chaos, it's falling apart, it's going crazy, you're losing your mind, you're losing your shit, you're losing your house, you're losing your love. But there's something inside of you that is the stable point that everything else revolves around. It's your life, your, your it varies from person to person what that is. It can be an external point like the gods, like the spirituality, but most often it's something within you that you can grab hold of and go, okay, this is true. There is no questioning about it. There is no doubt in my mind anywhere that this is false or this is going to betray me. This is the stable point that I have. And once you find that point, whatever it is, normally you start rebuilding your life around that. Mm -hmm. And that becomes the rotating center of everything. Yeah, it's – in alchemy, it was called Solway and Coagula, you know, the idea of – separating everything and and finding that core and bringing everything back around it um mm-hmm. it occurs to me that the the reason that so many like religions are successful um is that what they do is they take that dark dark moment of your life and they provide you what I like to think of as the balm of Gilead, the easy answer that masks the problem so that you don't have to go through that darkness. Um, exactly. Yes, that is exactly it. They mask the problem. They give you an alternate route that because you haven't gone through that uh, nighttime, because you haven't made that sacrifice, they, gi- they give you the false center. And they try to make it all about that religion and make you dependent upon it. And unfortunately, in far too many cases, it works until the cycle comes back around again and everything falls apart again. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because if you, if you never find that core, you're always going to have to come back around to it until you find that core. And then you never have it again. It's very true. Um, 
it brings me to mind of a story, well, a, a situation at work, actually. One of my coworkers recently under, or went through a breakup with her ex-boyfriend, and, you know, he's going through that period where he doesn't know what to do with himself because he was so busy identifying with the relationship that, you know, he's he's not he's never had anyone guide him to the to through the process of darkness before and i was suggesting that you know what i could do is step in and and talk to him because you know he's she's being told by a bunch of coworkers that you know it you it's his problem you know leave him alone to deal with it and so on but he's never had anyone to show him how to do that so what does he do he goes to a a a a church i guess and he sits down with someone who's religious and they basically thump a bible into his hand and and say read this and shit will fall into place and i'm sitting there going well that is the the absolute least someone can do for you like mm. he needs the lamest to allow, in the world. <laughs> he needs to experience that darkness and go through what it feels like to be without a sense of purpose to to undergo that period of chaos and you know just being shaken to the very foundations and then experience what it is to to step up and develop yourself again and you know it, that's the answer he's being given because that's the easy answer. Like you, you step in when someone's suffering at their worst and then you go easy answer makes you feel better. And then they don't, they think that's the way of solving the problem because you know, they don't have to go through that period. Well, yeah, because let's face it. I mean, humans by nature are lazy. And they're exceedingly, exceedingly, exceedingly self-centered and selfish. And somebody coming up while you're going through a bad time and you know they're trying to empathize with you and they say, well, call me if you need anything. They don't want you to call them. Not really. They don't think that you're going to call them. Not really. But it makes them feel better because they tried to do something and they tried to help. And, you know, if you call them, well, you know, you can give them more pablum like that because they – and yeah, and they would like to do something, and they might try to do something. And, you know, more often than not, it, it just doesn't help. The only people you're actually going to get help from during this time period are people who have been there, done that. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. You know. <laughs> it's the initiation of the dark mother, the dark and exactly. terrible mother who, who will destroy you and will shred you to nothing. And it it's just part of becoming whole, right? Like, even Jung talked about it, right? Like, a real psychotherapist, if they are genuinely going to help you, they're going to sort of guide you down the road to complete dissolution of who you were so that you can examine all the parts of your life that are not going properly and they'll they'll encourage you to 
pick out all the crap and then find the the perfect center of who you are so that you can begin to build a, on a proper foundation. It's mm-hmm. the the comparison in in I want to say the New Testament of the house built on sand versus the house built on stone. Yeah, that's parable in the New Testament. House built on sand and the house on built on stone. Parable in the New Testament. Not sure. It okay. sounds like God is the New Testament. Research, but... <laughs> but anyway, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean that's that's the whole idea, right? Like mm-hmm. most people who've never experienced, who've always had the safe, secure road. They they build their houses on kind of a mix of sand and and rock, and they don't have any you know crises of conscience. They don't experience any real difficulty that makes them examine their lives. Whereas some people have you know always had their house built on sand. They just never get it challenged and once they never they do, hit they adversity. don't know how to deal with it yeah they never hit the adversity that caused the sand to wash away one of the few things that my father did for me when i was going through a really bad patch when i was young typically right around 14 uh was he came to me and he told me the story about a willow tree and or not a willow tree a um a tree that was in the forest uh it was outside of the main group of other trees um and all the other little trees were would pick on this one and because it was you know out there and didn't matter and had the sunlight yeah but you know who cares about that because you've got all these other trees and it's all nice here and there's you know everything going on and then woodcutters came through and cut down all the big trees uh, and took them away to be um, cut up into boards and planks and toothpicks and paper and everything else, which left nothing but the little trees. And a hurricane came through, and as it would do, hurricane ripped up all those little trees, except for the one that was still out away from the rest of the forest. And the reason it didn't was because that little tree had gone through storms before, had gone through the the hard winds, had gone through the cold times, and it sent its roots deep and spread out and learned how to bend with the wind instead of staying rigid. So when when the hurricane came through, instead of being protected and sheltered like all the other little trees were, it was able to adapt to the hurricanes and stayed alive. Whereas the other ones died, it does vaguely and, sound familiar, actually. Yeah, it. Does, but that was the, that was such a huge thing for me at the time, because I was the outsider. I was I was the kid that went around that in high school was so far outside of the uh, structure of the society of school that I had no group to be with. You know, you had the stoners, you had the music geeks, you had the AV people, you had the jocks, you had the cheerleaders. I had no group. There were three of us. We were so far outside, we didn't even have a group with each other. <laughs> it was just, it was 
Yeah, it, and we would have killed anybody to get into one of the other groups. But we were really outside of that social structure. So we got to see all of the infighting and all the political crap that all of them were doing and how they were essentially the same group just with different sets of interests who were all fighting each other for no particular reason. Isn't that other the whole they, basis of politics? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Tribalism, yeah. But, you know, that particular story that he told me, it, it really helped me out at the time and allowed me to keep enduring because it was very hard. I mean, you know, everybody was coming at me, and that's the whole thing. Um, there's a, a song uh, by Bowling for Soup called High School Never Ends, and <laughs> they're, they're very – accurate in there because they describe high school cliques and then they pull out the you know modern day adult equivalents of the same damn thing <laughs> and it's the same damn thing it's very true the only, the only thing with high school is that it is very in your face and very obvious if you know what to look for yeah because they haven't learned tact or politics yet it's or, more yeah and so if you can spot it's more it like raw Right. If you can spot it in high school and you know what you're looking for, you can spot it in society once you get through it. It's true. Even though it's subtler. But yeah. Sociology and, does... and psychology really help in that regard. <laughs> and political uh, poli sci and just everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's all just um, the same sort of skill set. You just learn the same stuff. It's just a different context. Um, but going back to the uh, Pivot Center, um, one of the things that – one of the other things I wanted to mention was um, – I don't know if you've ever re read the Dune books by Robert uh, – by Herbert. No. Um, okay. There is a series of six books that he wrote, and there's about 12 more that his son wrote off of his notes. Um uh -huh. But the third book, uh, God Emperor not – not God Emperor, Children of Dune, um, has – you've got the main character, um, Paul, is a Jesus equivalent, um, and they're on a desert planet. They have a drug called Melange that they can take that allows them to see the future, Okay, but it is a very overpowering drug. And it's very easy to lose yourself in the drug uh, while you're on it. Okay, uh, some things happened, and the genetic his genetics got passed down to his children, where it gave him such supervision that not supervision, but su but extreme uh, prescience that he was able to. Even though he was blind, see absolutely everything that was going on around him as long as he stayed on the future path that he had seen. As long as he didn't change anything, he was able to accurately predict everything that was going on around him to the point where he could walk through a room without hitting anything. Okay, hmm. um, This ability got passed down to his children. Well, his children had been exposed to this drug in the womb. So they came out with this sense fully active. And the only reason that 
that Paul was able to get through all of that with his consciousness intact in his own mind is because he had developed his own personality and his own self, sense of self, before he was exposed to this drug. Okay, It had always been warned um, by adepts that children who hadn't developed their own ego yet should not be exposed to this because it would drive them insane. Well, his twin children, boy and a girl, came out with this sense fully active, and they hadn't had any time to develop their id. They both found different ways to block off their power without losing their sense of self. She pushed all of these other people who were pushing their personalities on her aside and locked them away behind a mental wall. And that allowed her to develop her own personality while getting advice from them. Okay, He, on the other hand, fully gave into it, but he kept himself as the very center of his consciousness. And everybody else revolved around him, all of his mental ancestors and all these other visions that were coming at him were considered people by him. And they were circling around him, throwing out random bits of advice while he stayed absolutely in the center and let them rotate around him. And I thought that was a very interesting tie-in to what we've been talking about because that's exactly what eventually you have to do with this dark night is you have to find that stable center and you have to let everything else either slide off slide by or rotate around you like you were a black hole in a lot of ways it's true and i think that's like if if someone isn't really inclined to subscribe to a particular religion or you know spiritual practice um there's a lot of books that talk about archetypes. Um, I can't remember the one that sort of became the most popular. It was a large workbook kind of format that had 12 archetypes that, you know, if you unlocked them, etc., like you'd be able to come into a sense of harmony. Um, but there have been like numerous pagan versions of the same thing um, that have come since that one came out um awakening the heroes within i think it was called okay um but yeah i mean it talks about the same kind of thing like working through meeting each of these archetypes within yourself and learning what you can of them and being able to access them as you need them kind of thing but building the stable foundation within so the 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 premise that you've brought up from the Dune series, it does have you know a real sort of thing that you can actually find and and work through if you want to actually touch on the same thing, um, because it, it not everyone is going to experience this dark period the same way. It's not going to be remedied the same way for everyone. No, it's not. The The only thing that I can think of, because uh, I've been racking my brains here to try to think of 
a group that goes through something along those lines comes out the other side and it's a whole community that does this. The only thing I can think of is Native American um, uh, uh, totem animal vision quest journeys that they go through where it's before you do it, you're considered a child of the community no matter how old you are. And until you go through this finding yourself, this vision quest, you're, you're – at least it used to be – you wouldn't have been allowed into adult spaces because this is very much a meeting your archetype like you were saying, um, going through a generated, a forced dark night and coming out the other side. And there's a whole community within the Native American community that help you through this, and it can't really be written down. I mean the experiences can be written down. The journeys and what they did and who they saw along the journey can be written down. You know Things like Mary Summer Rain and a few other Native American authors have done so, but the, you can't follow in their steps. And do the same thing because like you said, this is a personal journey. It is transformative of self, and because of that, you have to go through it on your own terms. Yeah. You can you know, you can get the advice, you can listen to the stories, you can hear what other people are telling you, but you're never going to experience it the same way until you actually get there and go through it. Well, and that's the premise behind a lot of mystery schools. Like, you, mm-hmm. if you read up on the Eleusinian mysteries, the whole premise was that you, if you were not initiated, you were not allowed to participate. Um, mm-hmm. You had to undergo a period where you ritually imbibed the kukion, which is their hallucinogenic beverage. Um, there's discussion about what that really consisted of, but... Um, it come, you and your hallucinogens, God. <laughs> come on now. Hallucinogenic drugs have helped humanity for centuries. Oh, it has. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that's generally what, like, Wicca is meant to do. You know, it, it's meant to create a formal tradition of that mystery school, that sort of confronting yourself. And that's what the, the first year of training is meant meant to be it's like and that's what the freemasons are as well i mean the whole idea is that you ritually enact this shakedown of who you thought you were through the archetypes of hiram abiff and and the thugs and all that sort of stuff and Mm -hmm. you shake yourself to the foundation and then you rebuild yourself and it's it's the same thing that native traditions all over the world have like you are not officially one of the adults until you've gone through that period however that particular group divides has their, the tradition right like and they have their own standards yeah exactly and, you know one thing that i want to to stress to everybody that's listening cuz i have a feeling that there's some of y'all that are listening that are going, wow, this sounds 
really great, and there's others that are going, I wouldn't do this if you paid me $100 million cash on the barrel head to do it. The The choice to do this is always in your own hands. You're going to – you're you're going to know it when it comes. When the time comes for you to face this initiation of self, you're going to know that that's this time. You can choose to do it or you can run from it. Okay, but the choice is going to come back around again and again and again and again. And how you deal with it is going to not only shape how you recover from it, but whether you have to deal with it again. And my advice, my best advice is to go, okay, here's the choice. I can run or I can just do it. My advice is to just do it. Get it over with. Because it's in order to become as enlightened as you want to be, as Wicca and paganism is supposed to teach you to be, you're going to have to go through it at some point, on some level. And if you don't go through it this lifetime, you're going to have to go through it next lifetime, or the lifetime after that, or the lifetime before, because you can't advance until you do this. Well, and I think and that's the sort of the way that dharma works in in hinduism as well is is like if you don't really examine things right now through meditation or what have you then you aren't it's either going to be forced upon you like the 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 whole concept of the dark night of the soul um the dark tea time of the soul whatever you may want to call it is it it either hits you when you're you know, in your young adult phase, or it hits you at midlife. I, I, I've not had that, but I think that's exactly what the midlife crisis is. You've reached the point where you've gone as far as you can with the material side of your life, and bam, you know, you're forced to sort of see your life as, you know, what's next? What, what more can there be? And I think that for a lot of people who who are materially successful in their youth, they reach a point, you know, in their, you know, late adulthood that they kind of get punched in the face by the dark mother who says, "Okay, now that you have all this stuff, this is what I want from you." And a lot of people resist it. They panic because our culture is so superficial and so materialistically driven that there's always a an easy answer you can buy off the shelf or you know on the shopping channel or you know on Amazon or what have you that distracts you from the real work of what it is to be fully human right mm-hmm. and it it can be very easy and very tempting to avoid it because it really can be very, very uncomfortable. But God. if you go through it through sort of the force of circumstances, I mean, suddenly it it kicks you in the face while you're down and kind of says, now what are you going to do about this? Um, yeah. Not everyone reacts well to it. I mean, a lot of people lose their minds. 
because they're resisting it. Mm-hmm. It's it, it like you said it it kicks you in the face when you're down mainly because that's when you don't have your defenses against it raised. I mean you you lose position, you lose your job, you lose money, you lose your house, you lose whatever and you automatically turn inward to try to recover some of that somehow. And that's when this comes roaring back and goes, okay, now you've turned inward, you're ready for me. And so that's why a lot of people associate tough times outside of you with the tough times internally as well, with the midlife crisis, like you said. Um, something else that I that I have to have to have to stress is that – for all that we're saying that this is a good thing, it is not comfortable, it is not fun, it is hard, hard work. Probably some of the hardest that you're ever going to do in your lifetime. And it's not physical, it's all mental and spiritual. And Very much so. One thing that you cannot do ever while you're going through this is lie to yourself. This is the time period where you have to be absolutely truthful. You have to purge everything in your life that is not helping you out and be brutally honest with yourself because if you are not, you're going to fail this, and you're going to have to face this test all over again. Mm-hmm. And believe me, you don't want to have to go through this again. No, it, it really does suck. Like – I think introverted people by nature have kind of a slight advantage as far as this is concerned because you live a life of contemplation and, and you know, you do live an interior life. Um, mm-hmm. But society pressures you to look for the easy answer outside yourself. You know, it, it's not that getting an education or job, you know, whatever, is, is bad for you. It's just it kind of puts off that struggle that you have to have. Um, like, I mean, I, I keep coming back to the idea of, of the New Testament because most people are familiar with the story of Jesus. Um, but, you know... The fact that they neglect to talk about his young life suggests to me that that's not the important part because he's he's in that phase of life where he's you know going through school and he's going through you know get, building a career and all that kind of thing. Um, but I kind of think that thirty-ish in those days was probably roughly midlife because people weren't as long lived in those days. So, Despite Methuselah, who I've got a theory about, by the way. Go ahead. Methuselah is a statue. They just talk to <laughs> him like he was real. Um, but yeah, like realistically speaking, I, I think that the story that people can relate to is Jesus because it seems to me he's hit that midlife crisis. He's forced to face himself in the desert. You know, he confronts the devil you know, he's kind of like been raised with the answers, but 
it's not until he puzzles through them, like, you know, when the devil says, you know, I'll give you a kingdom and, you know, throw yourself off this building and I'll prevent you from death. Or no, and and your your father will send angels to save you. And he says, you know, you do not put your the, the Lord your God to the test. Why? Because if you do, then you're going to lose faith that there's possibilities there. It's a lot of this is supposed to have been wrapped into. Uh, the trainings for initiation, the the confronting yourself and confronting yourself with your God's present is what is supposed to happen during the the initiations into whatever mystical order you're joining. Okay, the dark night, the part where everything is blown away except just you, is the initiation into the priesthood. Okay. That's where this is supposed to come from. It, unfortunately, in a lot of cases, in this age of insta-wicca and insta-priestesses and one book and I'm a witch, the mystery, which is what this is, it's one of the huge mysteries, is lost. Because, let's face it, the Llewellyn books and the Red Wheel books and all of the publisher books that are out there about Wicca and paganism have to give you the entire tradition in a very few number of pages. They, the, the publishers don't want you writing about the deep mysteries like this because, first off, it doesn't sell. Second off, it would take up five volumes of 800 pages just to get the concept started to get across. And what they want is they want a book that's going to sell immediately once it hits the shelves. So they want something that is going to be easy for the uh, average teeny bopper out there who wants to, to get into paganism. So they want the authors to describe the beginning, the, the beginning path up to initiation and say, that's it. The basic learning, the outer court stuff, um, what your book of shadows should be, the tools you're using, the deities that you're supposed to talk to, the rituals that you're supposed to go through, the cycle of the seasons, the mythology, all of that is the, is the basic stuff. And that's all you see in all the books because that's what they want you to think is out there. So the mystery of the initiation where you are in the presence of your deity and you are conversing with them as easily as you would talk to your mom, that mystery is lost. And the deeper mystery of the initiation into the priesthood, which – if you think about it, is actually the initiation into personhood is skipped completely, and it's lost. So this is what we have to – we as pagan practitioners in 2016 need to start bringing back is we need to start bringing back that deeper mystery into our current paganism practice. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think 
the wheel of the year, you know, the cycle of the seasons is a useful thing in that it serves as an analogy for those cyclic times in your life where you go through the, the bright, positive periods, you enter into the darkness, you know, and then you come back out of it again. So it, in that sense, I do quite understand the premise of it. Um, but you really can't relate in print what this experience is like. It It is brutal. We've said this already through the episode. It is painful and brutal, and it shreds you to shit. And then, and it it's it's literally life changing. That that's what it is supposed to be. It is supposed to be a massive change in your life. So it is life changing, and it is a massive change. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, <laughs> you can kind of see it with. Um, I think it's more common with women generally that, you know, they reach that sort of midlife period, and then they they get into more spiritually inclined things they get into like energy healing and and crystals and reiki and chakras and all that kind of stuff and they they try to incorporate that and for someone who's just starting out um particularly particularly if you are young and you're looking at these like older people who are doing this, you, you kind of, it can seem kind of flaky because when I was young, Wicca tended to be sort of a gothy kind of thing where it became very much a costume for a lot of people. Um, Mm -hmm. so that it, it gave them the appearance of power and it was mostly just kind of a psychological manipulation. Um, either that or a, a click, a lot of it, I think, especially with the huge blow up in the 90s, the late 90s and the early ooze, you had uh, the, 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 the bitch priestess um, syndrome where it was all about titles and initiations and things like that. That's because it was a, a click rather than a life. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. And it, it's interesting because when you when you meet people who've gone through this like this experience, you can actually tell it has changed them. Like you might know someone for twenty years, and if they hit that point, you know they hit a brick wall in their lives or what have you. They they undergo these changes. They become. This is when you unleash the inner healer or the you know you you change careers or what have you because you've you've discovered that your purpose in life isn't the one that you've been comfortable with like the one that everyone tells you is your purpose um this is the whole idea of like the stages in various spiritual traditions like you've you've got like um the Buddhists, you know, like the Dalai Lama, if you meet him in person, I haven't done so, wouldn't mind, but nonetheless, if you meet him versus a novice, you're going to notice there's been a very strong difference in how he experiences and views life compared to the novice who hasn't had any, you know, painful experiences yet. Um, The same with a lot of monks and 
you know, even taking it into like Hildegard of Bingen, who was raised from young childhood as, you know, in a, a convent. And it wasn't until she hit her 40s when she started having her serious mystical experiences and she, you know, wrote all these, you know, beautiful musical things and she created like artwork and tons of written work that completely like if you've never experienced this stuff, it, it can seem really confusing because she references a lot of symbolism that doesn't make sense. Um, but to someone who's been through that sort of mystical self-development thing, a lot of her work really does make sense. You know, a lot of the New Testament makes a lot more sense once you've been through those kind of things because you can relate them to your life, um, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So it, it's a lot of what you see in the the more developed spiritual people seems kind of flaky at first and it's not until you've confronted the darkness in yourself that you really do recognize why it is that they've done this you know mm-hmm. a cup before the episodes end uh and we've got about five minutes or so left um a cup one huge caution do not, under any circumstances, go into the circle and ask your gods to do this to you if you're not ready. Because they will do it, and it will fuck your life. Hmm? Yeah. Mary points out that you're not even ready when you think you are. That's true. Okay. That's the ego that says, this is, <laughs> you know, it will make you a better person if you do this, it and people will, will respect you more, etc. Um, and it, it's the same warning that they give um, people who go into ayahuasca um, temples and that kind of thing is Mother Ayahuasca will kick you in the face. She will dredge up stuff about you that you didn't realize was there. And it's not until you confront yourself and all that darkness and filth and everything negative in you that you've come out of the ayahuasca experience completely refreshed and illuminated. Mm -hmm. Once you own everything that you are, nobody can ever use it against you. It's having, as far as I know, done this at least once, it really does change you. I mean, I used to be have so much anxiety when I was younger. Um, everything bothered me. I was constantly wondering what people thought of me, uh, how they thought of me. Um, little things, you know, somebody watching a TV show that I didn't like, I'd get upset about. Having gone through at least what I think is this, it, I find that it de-stresses your life almost completely. <laughs> Everything is – I'm so much more zen than I used to be. It's just like, oh, okay, you're killing somebody on TV. That's nice. See, that's the funny thing because I've actually been thinking about that the past few days as well. It's like 
I look at a lot of people who've never been through that, and I'm kind of like, wow, I don't know what it's like to be defined by anxiety and your need to control other people. Like, it, it, there's the guy at work that I mentioned earlier, um, who's technically my new boss, um, Mm -hmm. very much an anxious person who feels impelled to micromanage every aspect of everyone else's job, despite the fact that I've worked for this company for far longer than he's ever worked in the industry. Um, (laughs) And it's like, I don't know what it must be like to be that anxious all the time. Cause I, I see people at work who are like that and I'm like, okay, well you've basically done the expected, you know, you live the expected life, but it doesn't seem to me like you've ever actually had to face the darkest dark of your life because they wouldn't be anxious and, and, you know, fidgety and neurotic if they had to actually experience it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's I don't know, it w- I can't really describe it because I mean it, it it's one other one one more caution. It's not it yes, it's life transformative. Yes, it's going to change you on a fundamental level, but it's not going to remove all your problems. Mary and I had an argument for the past week. And I mean, we've we still step on each other's toes even though both of us have pretty much gone through this and we've calmed down a lot from what we used to be. We and she says she's old and tired. I just say she's, you know, she's hit it and hit it hard life hit her back and we both changed. But we still have bills to pay. We still have stress from Outside sources like that, we still, you know, step on each other's toes. We are able to deal with them a lot more maturely and have a very passionate discussion where we both have emotions going crazy without both either of us looking at each other and saying, that's it, I'm out of here. Because we're willing to work through it and we understand that this is a temporary situation. But it's not a path, it's it's not going to be the the cure all for everything in your life. It's you're still going to have problems. You're going to be more able to deal with them, and the the little bullshit that life throws at you, a blown tire, for instance, is not going to freak you out anymore. Okay, so it is good. It's just very very hard. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Um, and it you do reach a point where even, like, unemployment or the prospect of it doesn't freak you out anymore. Because you kind of get a sense that you'll be able to go through, you know, get through the situation as it arises, you know, and there's no real point in reacting to what hasn't yet happened. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of people are, they define themselves by sort of projected ideas of what the future will hold if they take this course of action. It, 
in the Buddhist concept, it's it's living in the now, uh, mindfulness, constantly being aware of just how things are unfolding as they are and not projecting a reaction or anticipation about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Yeah, it's... Go ahead. Well, I was just <laughs> going to say, I mean, I, I definitely... I don't recommend the experience in in the sense that it's not fun, but it's something you, that you'll you'll go through just whether you choose it or not. Yeah, it's yeah, it's. I mean, we've been it's life changing and hard and long, and you will curse yourself for this constantly while you're going through it five years after it's over or you think it's over you're going to look back on it and going god i'm so glad i went through that i'm don't ever want to do it again it's true (laughs) despite (laughs) you know and i keep adding qualifiers to it because it the process really never ends. It spikes and it slacks off and then spikes again and then slacks off. But the spikes are never as high and the slacking off never goes as low. You're going to have a time period where it seems like everything in your life that is possible to go wrong is going wrong and then more things will go wrong. And that's the epicenter of it. And there's going to be other times when things are still going wrong. You're able to deal with it a little bit better, a little bit calmer, but you're still going to be learning and you know having to retreat into that center of yourself again to reorganize for those time periods. And I know that doesn't make any sense, but that's exactly what happens. <laughs> It's true. I mean, it, it's hard to relate the experience until someone has gone through it. Um, but as I said, I mean, that's kind of the the I want to say glow you get from someone who's, if you want to call them enlightened, um, who's become a whole person. Like you really do get that that sense of release, nowness. Because they don't project onto you what yeah there is yeah there is a it, I'm sorry, I interrupted you again go right but, ahead. yeah it's once you know the once you know that stability in yourself, it's really, really easy to spot it in someone else, and you're going to find yourself drawn to those people naturally. People are going to be drawn to you naturally because they want that that centeredness also. But you're going to be drawn to others with that same centeredness because they have that centeredness, and they're not going to have nearly the drama in their life that can reflect over to you. That's very true. Anyway, so that's two hours. Uh, We didn't do our mid-show begging section, so we'll do it now. Guys, we love doing these shows. We actually – I look forward to them, and I've missed them for the last few months that we haven't done them. Um, but it does take time out of our lives. It does take energy. Um, 
You know, I not only the two hours of recording, but then I have to spend another two hours going through the episode, listening for problems and editing out anything else, and then listening to it again for another two hours to make sure that it sounds right all the way through. Then uploading and then everything. So, you know, this is like eight, ten hours out of my life and, you know, several hours out of Brian's life because while I'm doing all of this, he's researching stuff for the next show. It's true. You know, and looking up uh, holidays because we were going to do a holiday show at one point, another holiday show, and he was looking up uh, various other um, ways of doing the same stuff. <laughs> so. Yeah, this takes a little bit, and I would love to be able to do this all the time without uh, asking you all for money, but this is the part where I'm going to ask you for money and say, you know, we got expenses to pay. We got uh, hosting and the new forum and the emails and, you know, software for the forum and things like that that we would like to purchase, you know. Um, so anything that you can give us, you know, $5, buy us a cup of coffee, uh, uh you know, a copy of a book um, would be appreciated. There's a donate button on the, the website. Please come there, magicalmusings.net. Uh, hit the button. Two bucks, five bucks, ten bucks, a recurring, you know, a dollar even will help. Uh, I've got a $15 um, renewal notice for the domain name. If I want to keep magicalmusings.net, I got to give them fifteen dollars. And you know, frankly, since I'm out of work, Mary's paying for it, and she's not too happy for it when stuff like that happens. <laughs> so no. um, we've got one. One of the things Go we ahead. really do like hearing from you is feedback. Um, did we do a show well? Did we suck at it? Did we forget something? Um, if you've got a show idea that you want us to touch on or explore. Um, the forum has a, a place that is for episode suggestions. So, you know, if you want to suggest a, a topic, if you've taken a look through our various shows and, and kind of found something that you want to learn about that we didn't talk about yet, let us know that because it really helps to have ideas of what you want to hear because it takes time to come up with the show ideas as well. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons that we had such a, a long time between this is because uh, except for the um, uh, holidays episodes, we've pretty much run out of topics. I haven't really been able to think of much of anything except, you know, doing the rest of the holidays. We've got like five done. There's uh, three more to do. Um, I figure we can do probably one with Brian talking about alchemy, and then, I don't know, uh, I pretty much talked out. Well, and I was kind of curious, actually, because I've got, um, I've been in touch with a couple of uh, Hellenic polytheistic groups, um, asking if they have someone who could talk to us about Hellenic polytheism. Um, it, cool. it might be something we can touch on for... Um, Greek magic or, you know, various other topics. I kind of want to talk to someone about the Eleusinian Mysteries because I tried talking about that with the, was it the Fellowship of Isis? And never heard back from them, so, you know, so be it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's something that 
I can certainly set a date for. Um, mm-hmm. And if we can schedule it with the two that have gotten back to me, we might be able to have kind of a roundtable discussion with two different Hellenic polytheistic groups um, to talk about, you know, Greek mythology and and modern poly, you know, Hellenic polytheism and so on. Um, so hey, it sounds fantastic if we can do it. I'd love to. Okay, I'll, I'll I mean, see what I, mean, I can I, do with that then. Okay. So, yeah, anything, any other, you know, groups or people or things that y'all want to hear, please drop us a line. Joy at MagicalMusings.net or Brian at MagicalMusings.net. Feel free to, you know, send us ravings or, you know, criticisms because, yeah, we do. Brian, when Brian and I get an email from one of you guys and we've gotten to date about five. We not only write pages back to you guys, but we talk about it for days. <laughs> it's True. kind of sad, actually. <laughs> and yeah, um, if you're on Tumblr, we are, we both are, and you know you can hit us up there and strike up a conversation. Um, Wide-worlds-joy.tumblr.com or cosmic-rebirth.tumblr.com, um, and the forum. I mean. It, magicalmusings.net and click on the forum link and we're both on there uh, Mm -hmm. as administrators there's a bunch of uh, mentors and other people you can talk to about things that interest you or you know things you want to know about yep Um, we're you know we're we're into expanding and we would like I well at least I would love for this to become a resource for the whole community of up there with Witchbox, because I, when I was five, ten years ago, when I was on uh, various forums, Witchbox was referenced constantly all over the place. You couldn't find a forum where they didn't talk about it at least twenty That's times. That's true. And these days, I don't see anything coming out of there. There's still a, a website. They still have all of their stuff up they there. They have articles but, and all that stuff. There's still a networking yeah. resource. Um, it's a great site, and nobody talks about it. Nobody references any of it. So, yeah, I'd love for this to become the next Witch Voice, but <laughs> we need you to help us out to do that. It's true. All right, so now that's that's done. Um, tune in for uh, our next show. I don't know. It's going to be episode 29. Um, Imagine question marks next to episode twenty nine. Question mark. Question mark. Question mark. Because I don't know what it's going to be. Yeah, about, that's good. I, I, <laughs> if I can, it's going to be interesting. Hellenic polytheism, maybe. We'll see. All right. <laughs> anyway, so y'all take care. Have a fun day. Uh, give us a call. Talk to your friends. Whatever. And have take care. Have a good one, folks. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.